Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for coming back to our little corner here at Sensibly Loud Radio. I am B Easy, aka Brandon, and I am joined here by Mountain Carl here on a sunny day in Dallas, Texas. How's it going, Carl? It's going pretty great. Uh, I recently got to attend my uh, Mountain Dad's retirement party, and while we were there, we uh, also Mountain Mom is retiring as well. So it's the it's a banner week for the Mountain family. And uh, we had a lunch that we went to, and it was downtown. We went into a Mexican food restaurant. Usually when you go downtown for food, what do you expect? Do you expect like fast and easy? Do you expect high quality? What, what do you think of when you think of downtown food in Dallas, Texas? Well, when I think of downtown food, I think that it's going to be crowded. You're more than likely going to have to value your vehicle. There's going to be quite a bit of a wait between getting chips and salsa. They bring out the chips and salsa, but you don't have a glass of water yet. So you're kind of like, hmm, I want to eat this chips and salsa, but I don't want my mouth to be on fire. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then they take forever to get back to you and and get you your food and all that because it's slammed so that's typically what i expect from downtown dallas that is uh not incorrect i had a a shade of that happen but i will say that it was a quick experience that is the only good thing i can say about this restaurant uh it was i was it was decent food i don't want to say that it was bad my experience, of course, is that they're catering to the group that is coming in for lunch during their lunch hour. So obviously, they're going to be churning out food as quickly as possible. Don't slight them for that at all. Mountain family steps in there. Mountain mom orders a chicken salad. And the chicken taco salad comes out, and it looks bitching. It's just like a cafe line kind of situation. Uh, I order enchiladas. They go over to the vat of enchiladas. There's no other way to explain it. It's just a big tub of enchiladas. And they scoop me out a couple, which is already kind of like, okay, this is this is happening. They turn around, throw some cheese on it, and they pop it in the microwave okay. to melt the cheese. When you go to a restaurant, it doesn't have to be Mexican food restaurant. There's, there's the expression that you don't want to see how the sausage is made. That's used pretty ubiquitously, right? Right. When I think of fresh food, I don't care if it's thrown in the microwave. But don't you want to have that behind like a half wall or something? Do you really want to show that off to the customer and say, ah, here you go. Like, let me just nuke this for you real quick. 
and then turn around and just throw it onto your tray. I feel like there is at least an idea that you're getting food that hasn't been thrown in a microwave. Like maybe they throw it in an oven or something, that kind of deal. The microwave seems to me to be kind of like the lowest common denominator when it comes when it comes to culinary experience. Yeah. And the fact that they just throw it in there in front of you and then turn around and I don't know, this is like the most bougiest of problems. But it just seems like don't don't you kind of want like this idea that you're getting food that hasn't been thrown in a microwave that maybe it potentially was given to you fresh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's something I always think about is kind of like, okay, well this queso came out pretty quick. I don't know if they have a big, you know, pot of it back there that, you know, they're, they're constantly making new ones or, or whatever. Best like, Velveeta, Velveeta money can buy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it kind of depends on, which restaurant you go to, you know, you, you know, that if you're going to go to certain establishments, you're going to be paying a little bit higher of a price versus say, I can't even think of some of them, but there's some that you could tell it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit more processed. The quality of the meat is questionable. Yeah. So was this one of those kind of places? In the end, I didn't regret what I got. It tasted fine. Like I said, I think it's just a presentation kind of thing when you're in a line and then all they do is scoop out a chunka enchilada and throw it into a microwave and you're just kind of saying, what the hell just happened? Right. When they basically created this fresh taco salad for Mountain Mom in front of me, I feel like what I've done is just order the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Especially when it's some, uh, like if they do table side anything and, and bring it and then, you know, you get something that looks like the cheese is you know, you, you try to cut into it and you could tell the cheese is already hardening and you're kind of like wondering, wonder how long this has been sitting back there. Yeah, there is that moment. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it was good enough. And I'm not going to even say the name of the restaurant because I don't want to affect its business or anything like that. I just, this is an experience that I had that was, it it surprised me. That's all I'm going to go for right now is just, I was expecting downtown to have not a culinary experience or anything. This is a freaking lunchtime hour when you're in the middle of rush. But the idea that you just would have it nuked in front of you, I mean, just reheated right there. I I, I was less than enthused, Yeah. but it's fine. I, I had it. It was totally okay. I didn't die. And uh, I, I ate the whole meal. It was tasty. It just surprised the hell out of me. That's all. <laughs> So let's go back to your your dad. So Mountain Dad is retiring. Uh, how old that's is right. Mountain Dad? I believe he is sixty six. Oh, that's that's definitely a good time to retire. Uh, you know, like like my dad for yeah, he's he's in his early sixties, and you know they're only getting up there. So yeah, it's that's a that's an interesting thing to think about retirement. I don't know if yeah. we're gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think everybody thinks that. And I also think that uh, the way Mountain Dad treats his life is that he he always needs that that energy around him. It makes him a better person. It makes him a better worker. Without that, I think that he's worried about what the future holds. And he's going to be fine. I can tell you right now that he'll find his own source of energy and he will be productive throughout his life. Hopefully a long life is just one of those things that you concern yourself with. For me, I enjoy not having anything to do. 
because I usually have something to do. Right. So I will take that time and I will embrace it for as long as I have it, which is usually about 30 minutes out of my life mm-hmm. and then go on. But yeah, for, as far as retirement goes, I, sure. I'm looking forward to it, but uh, I'm not clamoring to get there. Right. I think it, your life would just be drastically different, you know, where you're not having to report to work. And that sounds like such a freeing feeling. Uh, I know I would love that. But at the same time, it's uh, to to get there, you definitely need to plan financially and, you know, look at some investments. And and suddenly now you're thrusted into being an adult and all that boring stuff that comes with that and paying your taxes. And, you know, we're enjoying the retirement possibilities at the mountain household and we're looking forward to everything that that has to offer we're uh, we got a lot of projects going on so we'll have no shortage of things to do uh one of the things that we've been looking forward to is the drop of the mandalorian trailer which we did not expect from d23 last night but we got it and boy i was excited yeah, I've been waiting for this trailer for a while. I think a lot of people had hopes that it would be a D23, but yeah, there's been a lot of uh there's been some stuff that's dropped this week and we have much to discuss. So, yeah, what were your takes on the Mandalorian trailer? Well, uh I thought it was freaking cool. I mean, you John Favreau's directing is all over this thing. I don't know if he actually was in charge of editing the trailer, but the actual shots that were taking place in the trailer looked very John Favreau, very dark, uh, very serious take on what's normally a fairly fantastical franchise. One of the things that I noticed was the assassin droid, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yes. Uh, so very pumped about that. I'm kind of curious about which direction they're going to take that and who is voicing him or her. And then we had shots of Gina Carano, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who people may recognize from Breaking Bad. And one kind of surprise for me was the big reveal of the uh, the kind of monologue at the end. It was Werner Herzog doing a, uh, a quote. And man, did that set the tone, like just, just the way that man speaks in general, like that will just light you up. That is exciting. And I again, it's a testament to him being able to act as well as direct. For people who don't know Werner Herzog's role, I'm sorry, his uh, his films that he's done in the past, probably his most notable stateside that's outside the indie realm would be Rescue Dawn. That was with Steven Zahn and uh, Christian Bale. And uh, that, was, that was a pretty yeah. damn good movie. Good movie. Very intense. Yeah. 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 Uh, those Vietnam prisoners of war. Uh, it was, that was just super fun. I mean, from a, from a cinephile standpoint, great acting, great directing. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to expect out of this series. It was basically just a sizzle reel with a bunch of very aesthetic shots. And uh, then again, that Werner Herzog quoted at the very end, but I enjoyed it. And I think that everybody who hopefully everybody who is into the you know Boba Fett Mandalorian side of things is going to embrace this telling of a story that's a lot darker. I think Rogue One was probably the best film in the entire franchise so far. That says a lot because I really enjoy shitting on the co- the newest uh, the newest trilogy. 
Yeah. So I think, uh, I think the darker take is good. I think the one-off, the kind of character experience is where this entire show is going to grow. And I think that's where the trilogy or trilogies are going to take us when we have a lot more character depth and a lot more experience in the world itself, as opposed to some of these plot, holy craptastic messes that we've been getting from Disney. Yeah, I totally agree. I, the The trailer, as soon as it started, the hair in the back of my neck st- stood up, and it, it had sort of like this vibe to it that was very Mad Maxian in, in a way. Um, I get that. It, it's it's a very like old west type of vibe, and and everything is dangerous uh you know being in that world like if i were in that world myself i'd be you know really afraid versus some of the other star wars films where yeah you had the empire and everything but there was still a little bit of a sense of order to things and this just seems like it's the wild west so it kind of has that vibe of being a man with no name type thing type of vibe where he comes in and and i don't think you really hear him talk in the trailer at all and no. he just kind of looks at Werner Herzog and uh, after he says that line and it's just kind of like, okay, yeah. But going back to the uh, assassin droid, that thing looked badass. It's just shooting in all different directions, de- kind of doing what they did in Equilibrium with the, the gun. Gunkata. Yeah, Gunkata, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it kind of reminded me of that. But the the trailer, the tone, it the how it looks, the CGI that's in it, like everything is really impressive, especially for it being just uh, streaming, you know. Uh, but going back to Werner Herzog uh, real quick, the one role that kind of stood out to me that I picked up on and I said, okay, I, I've seen the guy's films that he's directed and some of his documentaries and stuff, but I've never seen him act like this before. And this guy is like an actor's actor. Like this guy is damn good. He knows exactly how to, how to give it. And that was his role in Jack Reacher. Yes. Um, yeah, he was, you know, as uh, Rosamund Pike said at the end of the, the film, you know, it's the thing that's that's underneath the bed or something like that. He is just very sinister and evil, and especially that scene in the alleyway where they try to make the guy, you know, chew his, his fingers off, and and then he's like, this is impossible. Warner Herzog just is like, is it? And he pulls up his hand. You can see it's all chewed off and stuff because he had frostbite and all this, you know, whatever the story was. But going back to the Mandalorian, that I'm really excited for it. Uh, cannot wait to start to binge the hell out of it. Uh, but it's going to be a crazy time because I think this is just the beginning of Star Wars streaming, and the possibilities are endless. Boy, I wish they had that kind of mentality when they were making the films. That uh, they would basically say, "This is it," and we're going to oversaturate everything and we're going to keep people from you know, waiting for new movies and things like that. That kind of gives you the feel that they don't have to nail it every single time. This feels like they nailed it. So I can only assume that they have a different creative team working on this. It just feels entirely different than any of the trilogies or one-offs they've done so far. Yeah, that's something that I'm seeing Disney do a lot more of, except with the exception of some of their films, some of their like, you know, 
films that they're remaking and stuff. But when it comes to Star Wars films, that's kind of the biggest complaint I have of this current trilogy that's out. I'm looking forward to this third film, uh, having J.J. back, because I think he's kind of like uh, learned what he did in the first one and kind of has seen how the arc has gone over the second film. It's just there's there's too much like political correctness in it. I don't want to get too heavy into The Last Jedi, but there were a lot of parts of that film I didn't like, and then there were some parts of the film I really did like, you know? I yeah. I wish certain things had happened a little bit differently, like with Luke, but I like what they did with Luke, but every all the other characters, there was just too much political correctness going on, and, and, it, and in my opinion, it kind of uh, distracts from the story, you know? It distracts the viewer, and it doesn't have the same feel of the original... Uh, in terms of just focusing on the story and not, oh, look what this, uh, you know, look what this female character can do or look what this other male character can do and, and all this stuff. And it kind of gets a little bogged down when you're when you throw too many characters into it. So I'm interested to see what they do on the third one. But, yeah, I, I'd say a Mandalorian there. It seems a lot more violent. It seems like it's unrestricted. It's focusing in on the story and the action and i mean it, it looks it was gorgeous so yeah cannot wait really looking forward to this now that we're on star wars talk and the nuke is going off in my mind <laughs> as far as all the different crap that i didn't like about it i think you pretty much nailed on the head as far as the the political correct overtones but also in its in its entirety star wars has been very very simple there is not a moment where you're looking at Star Wars and you think to yourself, God, I wonder what all of the subtext is here. I mean, there are there is subtext to things that happen, but you don't have to dig that deep to enjoy it. Right, and right. I feel like all they did in the last one and the last Jedi was try to pile on the subtext and try to show this kind of new style of star wars and i don't necessarily think it resonated it, it did resonate with some it didn't resonate with others i don't know like i said i'm not afraid of thinking i mean but star wars has never been the kind of thinking man's film right i mean i understand why they did it and you get all the heads together and it's been you know it ever since the god-awful prequel films at least they're not like that that george lucas botched up and you know we really True. didn't need to see that story however some good things came out of that you know such as uh another thing that was announced at d23 which was that ewan mcgregor is going to reprise his role as obi-wan kenobi and that that will be i believe part of a streaming service i didn't really follow up too much on that part but i know he's coming back and reprising his role which i thought he was excellent as obi-wan and he's only gotten a little bit older since those films, uh, right? But going, you know, so with this uh, with this current trilogy, I I understand that they looked at it at, from a perspective like, okay, it's been a couple decades since we've had a Star Wars film, and this is moving the narrative forward from the original beloved three, uh, that being New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. And how are we going to relate that to today's audience and the millennials and all that? And, okay, let's try this. And they just threw a lot of things against the wall instead of just focusing on making, you know, a great story and a great film first. So I, I'm i hoping that, like I said, you know, the, that this upcoming one, uh, this third film is going to be 
all focused in on that. Um, and I'm sure they'll probably just keep going, you know? Yeah, they will. Uh, they can't help themselves. And there are two questions, uh, or um, there is one question and one statement I'd like to make. The question is, will the Obi-Wan rat tail make a comeback? <laughs> and then the other question, or the other statement that I've got is that Rian Johnson can direct the piss out of a film. Oh, yeah. However, I don't know what happened in The Last Jedi because he had some shots where it very much shone through, right? There were very like moody and, and very grand shots that you know really showed off his directing prowess. And then there were some shots that just sucked. So I'm not really sure what happened, if there are too many cooks in the kitchen or what. But uh, I, I don't. I don't think people. A lot of people wanted to dump on Rian Johnson mm -hmm. after yep. uh, you know the last Star Wars, and I think that he shoulders a little bit of the blame. But you can't give it all to him. Yeah, like I said, watch any of his other movies. Uh, you may not enjoy them thematically, or not enjoy them from. Well, if you're talking about Looper, maybe prosthetically, mm -hmm. but you will at least understand that the man can direct and he wasn't chosen in a vacuum. That's my point. And also that sweet, sweet Obi-Wan rat tail with Ewan McGregor. <laughs> my God, is that not the star of the first three films? Yeah. It, it almost had like a eighties vibe to it, you know? Yeah. It was, it was everything. We, we had, we had a kid in high school and junior high that had a rat tail. Oh yeah. And, and I can't separate the memory of that person and Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan now. So <laughs> they're they're inexplicably linked forever in my mind. One of the other things that came out of D23, which for those who don't know, is a, is a Disney fan club expo. So I think that we should throw that out there for people who are not in the know. Uh, the, the reason that we talk about a lot of Disney right now is because a lot of Disney stuff is coming out. And because Disney Plus is coming out, that means that there's even more information. One of the things that's coming out that seems to be a D or I'm sorry, a Disney plus only release is going to be lady in the tramp. And Brandon and I recently watched the trailer for that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of feel good around it. The star tramp is actually a rescue dog, which I thought was, you know, only the most adorable news to come out of the last week. So what did you think by and large about the trailer and how do you feel more or less about the distribution methods that they're using right now with the so the trailer dropped last night or yesterday uh, late afternoon as well as mandalorian which was real exciting to to watch when i got home after a really long day at work the this trailer i'm a huge fan of it i did know i i heard that they were gonna of course disney's on this roll right so they're remaking pretty much every uh, successful cartoon film that they've made. And for better or worse, we're getting them, but they're, you know, generating billions of dollars. Uh, Lion King generated a billion. I believe that there was another film out. Well, I guess you can consider, yeah, Toy Story 4 thrown in there. That crossed a billion. And then, you know, the, everything's just been pretty successful that they've remade. Everybody's going to go see it. Mulan is the next thing that's going to be coming out. Uh, as far as theatrical release, but I like that they're also attacking this streaming service and really pumping it up. The cost of it and everything, it's, it's very, 
I know very many people who are going to subscribe to it. And I think that it's a really cool thing that they're doing. And it's really kind of uh, putting Netflix now sort of in there, you know, like, hey, you know, you guys need to step up your game or come up with a, a new concept in terms of how you guys are going to generate more business. So from the consumer standpoint, the consumer wins in in this uh, in basically in, in this scenario. So the more streaming services we have, the less likely we're going to be taken advantage of on really high subscription rates. I think Disney's quality and, and what they could bring to the game is definitely going to change up some things and only going to make uh, their competition even better and try and come up with inventive ways to get people to you know, come back over to Netflix or come back over to Amazon Prime. But the trailer itself, the one thing that I took away from it and I'm really excited about is that it's live action. They hand-selected these dogs, and you could tell these dogs are just they're great on camera. And just the few scenes that I've seen, it, it almost looks like there's a little bit of chemistry there. And so these dogs get along, which is a good thing because you don't want dogs, you know, disrupting and you're having to take so many takes but there are a few scenes of cgi but the cgi looks really good i mean obviously they're not going to have real dogs be able to do the spaghetti scene that we're all familiar with but how dare you yeah <laughs> well i don't know maybe your dog's capable of doing it i mean he looks very talented in the background there but uh um... <laughs> the, the background of the shot for people who aren't watching the uh my my dog is is constantly moving around and being comatose right now. So I don't I don't think that uh, Mountain Dog will really be able to to do the heavy lift that's available in Lady and the Tramp. Right. Yeah. But uh, so the CGI looks really good. I, that's what was that was my biggest fear when I heard that they were going to come out with this that it was all just going to be CGI, and they've done it enough. You know, I it's like. If they were able to use real animals in Homeward Bound and Milo Otis back in the day, they could definitely do that here. Now, of course, there's probably going to be some scenes where they're talking with their mouths and you got to do CGI, But and I get it. But the cast that has been attracted to this as well is really good. I think I saw, was it Tim Thompson is in it and Sam Elliott. So there's some really good names in it. Uh, the music sounded good. The cinematography looked great. Uh, very grand open scenes and, and some scenes where the lady is running next to the horses. And I, I vividly remember that scene, uh, the animated you know film, because the film came out like what, back in the 50s? It's one of the older Disney it's films. Older film, yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, when that came out, I think as well as Cinderella, those were just really huge achievements in animation. Uh, but really looking forward to seeing it. Can't wait to check it out. Yeah, there's a theme with Disney's Disney Plus originals that they've got going on. And it seems that they give a damn. That is probably the biggest selling point for me when looking at a subscription service is obviously content, but the the promise of good content moving forward. I'm not necessarily a Disney fanboy, but I will say that since they, since they've gobbled up only all of my favorite uh, pri uh, properties that I have to be paying attention to this now. Lady and the Tramp looks actually like not, it's not going to be some kind of bombshell, you know, release or anything like that. It's just looks like they gave a crap when they made it. Right. And I, I am happy about that. 
I don't know. They've got a lot going on. There, there's stuff like uh, ABC all is it CBS or ABC all access? I think it's C- CBS. Which, which one? CBS all access. When they tried to drive everybody to CBS all access for Star Trek Discovery and things like that, I'm I'm a huge Star Trek fan, but oh my, to just dangle one major franchise in front of me and then a bunch of Friends reruns, there is no way I'm going to throw money at that. I don't know if that's something that you share, but when I looked at that, I thought to myself, my God, I mean, it's just, I can go on and watch every Star Trek that ever was up to this point on Netflix. Right. I'm going to get my fix. What are you bringing to the table? Now, obviously I've heard good things about discovery. I know Picard is going to be a good show, but I haven't fully invested it in doing another streaming service. When you talk about, the low price relatively of Disney plus ESPN and Hulu all bundled together. Of course, I'm sure that comes with commercials up front, but I mean, looking forward, that seems like one hell of a product. Mm -hmm. So I would be interested in exploring Disney plus over something like a CBS all access. And that's not necessarily me taking a shit all over CBS all access because I'm sure that the star Trek shows don't suck. They actually care about those, but you're going to have to invest a little bit more. Right. It's a balance of quality and content. And Disney just has that advantage of bringing a shitload of content as well as they have high quality. So, yeah, I think that's why a lot of people, as well as what's going to come in the package, I heard that you're going to get Hulu with it because they own Hulu. Uh, And then there's an ESPN package. There's all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, there, there's some other news that's come down that I've, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to understand why this is happening. So there's a new Resident Evil movie that's been announced. Uh, I believe uh, Screen Rant ran that story. And uh, Johannes Roberts, or Johannes Roberts, I should right. say, uh, was attached to direct and it's actively in development. However, I heard that Netflix is doing a Resident Evil TV show series. So I'm, I'm kind of confused here. Yeah, me too. Uh, on the topic of Clusterfuck, this definitely seems like it's top of mind. Uh, Deadline was the one that reported Netflix production of a Paul W.S. Anderson continuation of the Resident Evil franchise. Well, we reported on that last week That's right. uh, from what we had learned. But now we're reading that this new thing is an active development. It's not uncommon for Hollywood to pump out things that basically smell identical from time to time. Uh, I like to throw out like Dante's Peak and Peak and Volcano. <laughs> uh, there's uh, also uh, Deep Impact and Armageddon. Yep. Uh, and the list goes on. This is not a new thing. However, to have people sniffing around the same property at the exact same time, that's weird. I mean, especially on different mediums. I don't even know who owns the rights to Capcom's Resident Evil franchise anymore. I don't even know if it, I mean, because now I have no idea who's capable of doing anything. They're shopping the script around right now for Netflix. Uh, That doesn't mean anything. It really, I mean, it's, it's really at the rumor stages now. So I would probably give more credence to the idea of a reboot on the film side of things with Johannes Roberts, because they say it's an active development. 
that being said, this is very strange to me. You know, I mean, it, we're on the same page here. That's it's kind of weird that they're both being announced as rumors at the same time. Yeah, it's it is really strange, and and it makes me think that you have two parties, right? You have one that's it, it's really bizarre. I don't think I've ever seen something like this, but you have one one group who's trying to get a Netflix series made. That could be a lucrative deal, but then you have the old school mindset of, well, if it's a theatrical release and it does really well and it harkens back to the video game and the horrors of that and the suspense and and we could run almost like a trilogy of films and then that could make more money than say whatever the Netflix deal could be. So but again, these are that it's a very unique situation that you have one group trying to vie for a, a film to be made and it's in development. Just both of them to come out at the same time would be kind of strange and I think confusing for a lot of people. Right. Uh, the, here's my assumption. One of them is going to get shelved. Uh, it just is almost inevitable. However, sometimes Hollywood likes to do that thing where they take a script, they like the concept of it, send it out for some tweaking and give it a new title. And then you have your own franchise that you'd like to work off of that has nothing to do with the rights of Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. That seems like something that's really easy to do with this kind of property. So if Netflix wanted to have basically their own Walking Dead, it just happened to have an evil corporation and a lot of weird paranormal shit going on in the background, that can happen. Yeah. So I, I would not be surprised if that was the path that was taken because it still sounds lucrative for them. But there's there's only one of these projects that's going to get off the ground. And, and I would give the edge to the movie right now. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll follow this story uh, pretty closely and see what happens and see which one drops off or if they both continue trucking along and both of them get uh, made and, and produced. So we'll see what happens. But we had some other exciting news that happened this week and that the Bond 25 film finally gets a title. That title is No Time to Die, and it opens April 8th of next year, 2020. So really excited for this. I, I liked in the little, you know, I guess, teaser of the title where Bond's walking out, and he looks to the right, and it pans out, and you see the font of No Time to Die, and the font kind of, for me anyways, as a Bond fan, kind of harkens back to sort of a 1970s feel to it. And I don't know why, maybe because dies in the title, but kind of reminds me of Live and Let Die in, in a little bit of a way. So it kind of has like a 70s, 80s uh, sort of flair to the the title uh, font. But yeah, I think it's a great title for a Bond film. And I know that they're only running out because Ian Fleming only wrote like a certain amount of novels for Bond and they can only take so many different things from his memoirs and stuff that you kind of have to... And I'm sure this probably is something that was mentioned in one of his books, but, uh, you know, it's like you, you start running out of things as you get to the 25th film and, uh, and coming up with, with content. But what do you think of the title? Well, be easy. I believe that Bond may have no time to die, but you may have no time to read books, which is a <laughs> great reason why you would get an Audible subscription. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download the title free and start listening. It's that easy. 
go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. And as far as I'm concerned about the actual reveal of No Time to Die, I like the title, but the actual, uh, and I like the, this is so stupid, I like the font that it was actually produced in the, the reveal trailer, which is literally Daniel Craig walking, and that's it. Daniel Craig, maybe this is everything being painted so far with the he'd rather be doing something else brush. He looks like he was bored as hell walking in that trailer. <laughs> like he just looked, he just looked like he could be doing anything else but that reveal. So yeah, it was it was stylistically, it was badass. Always ready for another Bond film. The Mountain Household has got every Bond on lock. The only thing that I can't separate right now from is Daniel Craig and his gives two little shits attitude from the Bond franchise. Uh, that every time I watch him in a Bond, uh, he acts his ass off, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, he does, he does a fine job. But leading up to it, I always read about how he'd rather be doing anything else. So... You know, it, it, I, like I said, it's hard for me to separate the two. I think it'll be fine. It's going to be a good movie. They don't make bad movies. Well, not anymore. They've got a great director attached to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't, how many rewrites has this thing been through? I mean, do we know? Uh, it's been through, I think, a total of three rewrites. But, okay. But, you know, it's when, when you get into that territory where it's you know that this is going to be the actor's final film, and you know that these movies have been have an uptick in terms of how much money they've been taking in versus the budget going back to comparing Pierce Brosnan's latter films. Right. So it's, it's been a steady incline. So they want to make the best product they can. So there's a lot of pressure on that. And then on top of that, it's James Bond. So there's a huge microscope over it. So anytime someone hurts themselves or, or whatever, it's, Oh God, this is a doomed project, which doesn't make any sense to me versus Mission Impossible and Tom Cruise breaking his ankle and then he's out for an extended period of time. And they're like, eh, he'll he'll get back in film and it'll be a great film. You know, so it's it's interesting how people love to hate and I don't know if it's a hate or people just maybe people are worn out of Bond. I don't know. The thing is, I think a lot of people are misinformed when it comes to Bond. I don't think very many people that uh have negative opinions of Daniel Craig have really seen these types of films because the one way that I always explain it, it's kind of like, this is your Jason Bourne style bond. And this sure. honestly is the style of bond that was in a lot of the Ian Fleming novels. Of course they took it to another degree in, in the physicality This is definitely the most physical bond. And because of that, Daniel Craig, you know, it, if you or I were in that role and the amount that you have to give, I mean, you look at the first few films and, you know, there's some injuries he's occurred on set. Uh, it, it's just, it's very, very physically involved. And the fact that he probably doesn't want to have a, a stunt guy in there, you know, and I'm sure there's stunt yeah. guys for the major sequences that there's no way the insurance company would let him do it, you know, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's, he's, he's so 110% committed to the role when he's in it that when you get out of that gambit and the long shoots and the, you know, the, 
so many takes that you have to do. And, and probably that's what I was thinking whenever he walked out to the title sequence, he probably had to do like 10 takes of him walking and he's just like, okay, can I go home? Yeah. Jesus. But, can I be done with this already? Yeah. And so to us, we think it's ridiculous, you know, for an actor to just kind of scoff at a role. And it's like, dude, you're making millions of dollars off this stuff. But at the same time to kind of put yourself in his shoes of going, it's through, not easy. Yeah. It's not easy being under a microscope, all that pressure and you pretty much have to kind of lead the way for the cast, too, because you set the tone because you're Bond. I mean, the cast is basically a supporting cast, even though they have very strong independent characters in this iteration, you know, with Ray Fiennes and, um, you know, the actress that plays Moneypenny and everybody's just amazing. But, yep. yeah, it's for going through the rigorous shoots and everything. You know, he shot his mouth off in an uh, interview with a magazine article. I can't remember the magazine. And it was on the yep. roof of London. And he was having some beers with this guy and he was just, you know, just talking like, you know, nothing was being recorded and said, you know, he'd rather slash his wrist than go back and film. This was before this was after Skyfall and before Spectre. Right. And, you know, so it was taken in a bad light. And it's one of those things I'm sure he regrets, but he hasn't really publicly come out and really talked about those remarks. I don't think he's just moving on and, you know, he's just kind of putting out everything he can on screen. So, yeah, it's one of those things where it, it does kind of stay in the back of your mind, it even stays in the back of my mind that, you know, maybe he doesn't care anymore. But if he didn't care, he wouldn't come back to, to do this final one, even though I know he was contracted for it. But a lot of times actors he get contracted for a certain, you know, and they're like, no, I'm, I'm done. I've had my fill. I mean, you look at it, I think he's like 50 or 51 years old now. Yeah, and, hell, I'd be done with it. Yeah, you think back to Casino Royale, which came out in 06 and was filmed in 2005, and he was in his 30s. He was, like, our age. So to yep. think, like, over that span of time, it's it's crazy. It is crazy. Uh, do you think that the division on how the press reacts, and, and maybe this is kind of the mystique between the U.K. press and – the American press and how we view Hollywood and how we view Pinewood. Uh, do you think it has to do with just the different locales that they're shot in? Like maybe what the kind of level of press that's being put on bond and like Pinewood studios and that kind of thing is going to be a lot bigger because that's without a doubt, the largest budget film they've got over there. Yeah. I, I believe so because it's it's always been 007's always been synonymous with Pinewood. So yeah, absolutely. Okay, I I was just always curious about that. I mean, they they churn out plenty of films. A lot of them are smaller, but that is uh, well, and then they do a lot of co shoots with you know movies that are produced and and directed out of Hollywood. Uh, but they'll have people to use sets over there and that kind of thing. So, but it seems like to have a UK centric film that is created in Pinewood studios with that kind of budget is a rarity. So that's all I'm thinking. Speaking of people who want to get out of roles, I could totally see Jared Leto uh, not coming back for suicide squad. I don't know why this is even something that people are talking about. Do you have, are you familiar with any of this suicide squad reboot stuff that's going on right now? Well, they're doing a, another film. That film is basically like birds of prey and in, in in a way uh so you have harley quinn huntress uh black canary yeah black canary and 
So what I've read, I've read some differing type of reports here. Uh, one of the reports is that he might return and might have a scene uh, somewhere within it, but it's going to be very limited. And then the other uh, report that I've read was that he's just going to have sort of an audio track that's played over a scene where you just hear his laughter and that's it. Yeah. Uh, God, uh, you, you've made your distaste for Jared Leto's Joker pretty yep. well known. I was not a huge fan of his take. Is Heath Ledger just like the benchmark? Is that where we're at? Heath Ledger, to me, is the pinnacle. I mean, a lot of people still put Jack Nicholson up there, which I can understand that. He was more of the zany, but still sinister, uh, you know, in a 1989 way, um, you know, listening to a Prince soundtrack and dancing around with the boombox and all that. But uh, <laughs> that film that film was my boy. Yeah. I love that whole thing. Yep. Oh, yeah, me too. I watched it so many times since I was a kid. But yeah, to me, Heath Ledger's the best. Uh, a lot of it is because he really kind of looked at what causes insanity, uh, brought that to the role, took a lot of things in terms of like the voice of Tom Waits and the way he sounds and everything. And, and he just kind of like blended everything together in, in a way that a lot of actors wouldn't have done. So it was very genius what he did. And I feel like that the Joker movie that's coming out this October from what I've read of Joaquin Phoenix talking about how he came up with his laugh. And it's very similar. There's some parallels to it. I really think that Joaquin Phoenix is going to, there's going to be a, a different flair to it, but I think he could be as good, if not maybe better in some ways than Heath Ledger. I think it's fair to say we haven't really had a bad Joker except for potentially Jerry Leto. Yep. Because we've, we, I mean, look at the names we've had, you know, Heath Ledger, Jack Nicholson, Mark Hamill. Mark um, Hamill's laugh. Yeah. To me, as far as voice goes, Mark Hamill is exactly how I've always, you know, envisioned the Joker to sound. But for those, for those people who are listening, who don't know, Mark Hamill's voice acting career is varied and deep. Uh, it's, he's got an enormous amount of voice acting skill that he's done. And one of those real benchmark characters that he voiced was the Joker on Batman, the animated series, and also a lot of video games and a lot of animated movies as well. So he's kind of, as far as voice acting goes, he's a, he's a legend, but yeah, I mean, I don't know who else I'd like to see in that role moving forward. Joaquin Phoenix, that was a pretty interesting choice. Uh, been, been a huge fan of that casting pick uh would like to see that film when it comes out it was just given an r rating which is pretty exciting mm -hmm. but uh again do i want to see jared leto reprise his role in the joker or as the joker for a suicide squad sequel thing no yeah i don't either i think it's a it's a bad look especially with the Joker coming out. Uh, it's going to only confuse people. I get it that it's this Suicide Squad universe. So if you want to look at Suicide Squad as an, like an Elseworlds type thing, it's its own thing, and then Joker's its own thing. Okay, yeah. That's how DC's looking at it. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't think that Jared should be really brought back. I just think he's he, he was also what it sounds like a distraction on set. Uh, I know he tries to do that whole method actor thing, but it's a bit pretentious and over the top. 
Uh, the only characters I really liked him in were like Blade Runner 2049. I thought that role was perfect for him, but That's something like Joker, it's just uh, didn't really work out in my opinion. And I know they were trying something different, so that might not be completely fair to him, but what he brought to it and the laugh, I just, I don't know. I just wasn't yeah. a big fan. The, he was also good in Lord of War, Yep. Uh, which uh, very, very, uh, different kind of movie for everybody involved in that yep. but it was it was good i enjoyed it something we'll note here when we're talking about suicide squad is that james gunn from Gal- guardians of the galaxy fame now and trauma films fame of your is going to be directing and writing this reboot soft reboot sequel thing uh the only change that they're making to the title to differentiate it from suicide squad is adding the to the beginning i gotta be honest this really reminds me of when nintendo came out with the new ds as part of like a big marketing push all they did was put new and very sparkly letters and that was supposed to differentiate it from the previous generation uh this this is not something where you look at it and you say man i can't wait for the branding you know the marketing team to get a hold of this one it's kind of a mess if you're trying to actually separate it from and reboot it from a existing suicide squad movie, that doesn't seem to be the way to do it. Uh, I mean, do you have any instances or any kind of thought on why they would go this direction? I mean, it can't be, it's almost like mockbuster kind of levels of trickery, you know? I mean, like they just, I don't know. Why would they do something like that? Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. And that's the thing that, honestly, I was a little confused with. I thought that this Birds of Prey movie was kind of like a Suicide Squad sequel, but it's its own thing. So now that you're talking about this uh, with James Gunn, uh, I guess that's where I kind of got lost in the news a little bit. So the director for Birds of Prey is Kathy Ann. Uh, I guess I was just assuming that it was James Gunn because they haven't really been talking about this too much. So... I get that they want to do a continuation of Suicide Squad. I liked a few things there, like Jai Courtney's character and everyone else is good. I heard that Will Smith isn't going to be reprising his role, which that's all right. I mean, I, he was he was decent in it. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see sort of like this ragtag bunch. Now, as far as James Gunn directing this, I think is a perfect – I think it's gonna he's going to knock it out of the park because – This guy knows how to do ensemble films. He's proved it time and again with Guardians of the Galaxy. The director that did the first Suicide Squad, which his name is escaping me right now, but he uh, he, he's done a few films that were mostly like police drama. I'm trying to remember. uh, I don't know. The title is escaping me, but decent director. But I don't think he was used to having this sort of ensemble piece as well as working for a major studio like this to where you got a lot of pressure and you got a lot of people looking over what your work is and what you're doing. Yeah. He also probably didn't have the bandwidth to fight with Warner brothers, which not a lot of people do, but James Gunn is someone I would hope that they would trust to actually make a film and not touch it afterwards. Mm -hmm. If only they gave that kind of treatment to every director, but it's Warner brothers. So probably not. Let's see. The director of the previous one was David Ayer. Yeah, David Ayer. That's who it was. Yeah, which he did the he did the Tank movie with Brad Pitt. 
yep. which was excellent. Fury. Yeah, yeah Fury. did uh, yep. SWAT, uh, Dark Blue, Training Day, U571, The Fast and the Furious. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, those were writer credits. The director credits were for things like Bright, Suicide Squad, Fury. Um, end of Watch is what you're thinking. Yeah, of. End of Watch. That was an excellent movie, yeah. Um, he's a good director and and you're right he probably just didn't he, he probably didn't have the ability to fight back at the level of some big name like james gunn would yeah so yeah that's fine that is what it is as long as i don't have to see jared be the joker again <laughs> yeah well i'm excited that joaquin phoenix's joker movie coming out this october is officially rated r uh, I believe that was reported a few months ago, but it's kind of resurfaced again. And I think this time it's, okay, why is it rated R? And there's basically the description of disturbing imagery, really severe imagery of horror and terror and language and, you know, uh, everything you'd want in a, in a hard R rating. So, yeah, I think this is going to be they're, – they're definitely not pulling any punches on this one. So really looking forward to seeing Joker in October. Some other Batman news that we got recently was that there is, and this is from We've Got This Covered, that there's a potential that Charles Dance could be Alfred instead of Pierce Brosnan uh, in the in the Batman movie. For those of you who don't know who Charles Dance is, uh, probably his most important role recently was in Game of Thrones. Is Tywin Lannister? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, some of the other movies he's been in, Alien 3, Last Action Hero, which is the best movie of all time. I believe he was in the recent Godzilla that came out on video, uh, King of the Monsters. Mm-hmm. I watched yep. that last weekend, which it, it was okay. Let's let's just say I laughed at some parts of it. but Oh, great. But there were a lot more monster battles, so that was pretty awesome. But yeah, he's he's definitely in it, and he's part of like this, he's like this rogue general type guy, but the guy's a really good actor. He he brings a lot of a lot of gravity to roles. Uh, you could tell he's classically trained. Uh, so, as far as my opinion of what he would be like uh, for Alfred, I think I think he would be a, a he'd be I, I'd be fine with it. I think he'd be great. My favorite pick would be Pierce Brosnan, though. But so you know, as again, as we're in this time of Batman news and casting rumors and all sorts of stuff, we're going to hear all kinds of stuff. There's probably going to be so many more actors' names coming out that are in talks for the role of Alfred. Uh, so, you know, just add another great one, such as Charles Dance to the list here. Yeah, sure. It's it's a good pick. He was he was also in Sambino's favorite movie, and that is Space Truckers, in case you didn't know. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever seen Space Truckers? Yes. Yeah, uh, it's another another excellent Dennis Hopper vehicle, uh, no pun intended. But it is it is ridiculous, and uh, that the fact that Charles Dance even signed up for that movie did, was he waiting for Dennis Hopper to sign on before he jumped at it? Because I'm going to be honest, for those of you who haven't seen it, who love campy '90s like crappy CGI and like dumb plots to movies, it's a great bad movie night pick I, I can't i can't suggest it for anything other than that really i mean yeah i'm not even gonna ask you what you think about that that is dumb and uh charles <laughs> dance is great that's that's all you need to know well that's good information though and and uh congrats to sambino on that being his favorite film 
it, there was in during college that would probably make an appearance about once every six months it would be hey do you want to watch space truckers and i'm not going to say the answer was always yes you know at some point you kind of get burned out on space truckers so but yeah it was pretty funny to have that on the rotation you know we have a lot of movies between sambino and i and especially between you and i oh yeah so we will i mean that that was in the days before we had real cable and stuff like that you know we would just have constant movies running in the background and uh, yeah that made the cut for some reason so well so you know who didn't have a good week this week who didn't have a good week this week tom holland and for being as young as he is and going through this he was on top of the world recently you know with his spider-man films and the mcu and you know, uh, going on all these shows and interviews, everything's great. And now all of a sudden, I think he's feeling a little bit like the rug's being pulled out from underneath him. Um, maybe not so much in Spider-Man because life will go on with that and he'll still end up being, you know, being able to make Spider-Man films. It'd just be, he won't be with his MCU brethren, but we'll touch upon that here in a bit. The film in which he's feeling like his you know he's getting the rug pulled out from him is their famous video game franchise an uncharted film and that tom holland was going to be the lead which i still don't i still don't, I don't see it. it to me nathan fillion or bust like he's, he would just be perfect you you and i and this could be because of our age we have a snapshot of young Nathan Fillion in our minds and, and current the rookie Nathan Fillion mm-hmm. kind of looks like he got, he's got chewed up. I mean, oh. like, he, <laughs> I, I mean, like it, again, and, and this is my point, like about uh casting choice, like Mark Wahlberg, right? Yeah. Um, both are capable of getting in shape and really, you know, knocking it out of the park, especially Marky Mark. However, I understand they want to go younger, it seems like someone who just got out of a movie playing a high schooler, you know, at 23 years old, that's mm-hmm. not a good pick for Nathan Drake. Nathan no. Drake is pretty dashing for being a complete F up. So, right. you know, I mean, you have to have a lot of charm to play Nathan Drake because that's literally his only saving grace that and his ability to kick ass. So to pick Tom Holland is a casting choice in Uncharted always seemed to be a weird decision. It was almost like they were trying to go for your Hunger Games and uh, Divergent demographic. Right, yeah. And again, it's uh, this is Sony that's putting this out. So they already have Tom Holland in their wheelhouse. They're, you know, I could tell, I could totally see, you know, being a fly on the wall in that meeting. And they're just like, Oh, let's just throw the kid in there. Yeah, and, and yeah, we'll package it up. It's good to go. But it's not exactly how things work so much these days. And in my opinion, you know, I think I, I know Mark Wahlberg was kind of like your uh, sort of your consideration throughout there, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, mine would be Army Hammer. That makes sense. Yeah, see, he's still, he's about our age. He's, yeah. you know, he's, he's bulky enough. Like, he's... And, and I, you know, he's been in some really good films. He's been in some trash films, too. But, sure. you know, he's kind of not had a, a fair break uh, just yet with with Hollywood. And he's now he's he's got some really good independent films like Call Me By Your Name and all that stuff. And, and the guy it can act his ass off. But uh, 
he really needs his own project, you know, his own sort of like vehicle that he can do like a trilogy or even like do just a couple films. And I think that this would be it for him. He can act. He, I mean, he can, sorry, he can act, but he also, it seems like he's the kind of actor that's really biting on crappy scripts for big budget films. Yep. Uh, I mean, he can, he can make something out of nothing a uh, man from uncle, you know, I mean, he, he, he kind of flexed his muscle a little bit on that. Uh, but again, if a movie's written like crap, there's not a whole lot you can do with it if you're not that next level actor. And, uh, you know, he's a good actor. Uh, he, he, some may even say he's a great actor, but he keeps on jumping on board with really weird projects that don't really show him off. Or if they do, they show him off in the wrong ways. Uh, I, you know, that I think this would be a great project for him if they were actually going that direction. But again, uh, the demographic they're going for is much younger. And for some reason, it's going to be like, uh, you know, baby's first Tomb Raider. You know, I mean, like, I don't way to go. But no, it's it's really weird. I mean, Uh, and and he was in the running. uh, He actually tried out for the Batman. He wanted to be Batman Bruce Wayne. Several of my friends saw that he's got the stature and the build and and he's a good actor and he'd be great and i thought yeah i think so but i just don't know on the brooding part of it you know and so i didn't feel like that project was for him and so he's always tried out for these really big roles and hasn't really landed them and i feel like yeah this is this is the the thing for him but again it's got to come down to what does sony want for their lead as nathan drake and and we'd be kind of you know touched on the casting here, but the real reason that it was no good, very bad day for Tom Holland was because they keep on changing the freaking directors on this project. Yeah. So Dan Trachtenberg was attached to direct, which I fell in love with his directing style from 10 Cloverfield Lane. Absolutely love that movie, you know, and then David O. Russell was in the mix who, you know, we all know directed American hustle and um, everything else. Uh, Sean Levy, stranger things, uh, Joe Carnahan of the gray, so, uh, do we even know who's going to direct now? Hell no. Because Nobody Dan, does. I think Trachtenberg just left. They announced yesterday, the day before, that he has now left the project. They don't even have a reason for why he left. They just said, you know, like he's... Uh, I, I believe 10 Cloverfield Lane was put out by Sony. I'm I don't remember. Know. But he, he has done um, some really successful things within the Sony wheelhouse. And so, they're like, you know, we... We love Dan and, you know, he will he will definitely, you know, continue to shine for us. And, and you know, so they had nothing but great things to say, but I'm sure it was a creative difference. Yeah. Dan Trachtenberg, uh, reasonable choice for this film. Joe Carnahan, I feel like would probably be would have been the strong choice and, and maybe Sean Levy. But, you know, what the hell are you going to do? I, I mean, like it, for some reason, people are just running away from this and it it makes me wonder if it is the direction that sony wants to take it i mean is there i don't know what makes you think that they would be in a pitch room and they would say yeah i want to direct this film and then like run away from it like it's the plague right i don't know i don't i don't know what happens 
when, you know, maybe they got the too many cooks in the kitchen vibe or anything like that. But it's weird that they, they get the hooks in these great directors. And then they all of a sudden, after three months each, just say, nah, I don't know. Well, I think it is a too many cooks in the kitchen because just looking at the producers here, you have, you know, Truck Roven, Avi Arad, uh, Alex Gardner, and, and then Avi's brother, Ari Arad. And then right. I heard uh, yesterday that they're bringing in two or three more producers. And these are the ones that helped sort of produce the, the video game franchise. So maybe with them coming in, they'll kind of add some credence there and be like, okay, let's focus in on the movie because I don't think, as far as video game adaptations go, the the one cautionary tale is Assassin's Creed. Yep. It, it, it was nothing like the video game, and they took you know the Artemis, everything that was there, and just totally rewrote everything. On top of that, it was horribly directed and horribly edited. So... You know, there, there's a lot of cautionary tales out there. I think they should pump the brakes right now because it sounds like things are not exactly to fruition and they need to kind of go back and have some more board meetings and figure out what the hell they're doing. Um, but The producer thing is actually a really good point. Uh, do you really think that a bunch of video game producers that were brought in are actually going to be able to out-muscle people like Chuck Rovin and, you know, the Arads and Alex Gartner? No. It's not going to happen. Right. I mean, those those guys are staples, and people bring them into big films because they muscle the crap out of everything. Exactly. So I, I don't – that seems like it's a real Hail Mary at this point. They should have had people that were involved in the video game involved at the very beginning because everybody thinks that game is basically one giant-ass action movie anyway. So I don't, I don't get it. This seems like an absolute mess just waiting to happen. Yeah, and I, I just feel like it's unnecessary to push out video game adaptation films and all that, and as much as I love action films. But, you know, even if it does come out, it's not going to compare to one of my favorite action film franchises, which was the Matrix trilogy. Yeah, I think uh, Matrix is an amazing film trilogy, and it's kind of weird. The Wachowskis, in general, have made quite a few films, Nothing has really caught the lightning in the bottle the way that Matrix did. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to actually uh, follow up the Matrix, I know. But regardless, uh, it was a great trilogy. It was kind of trendsetting as far as sci-fi goes. Everybody wanted to copy it back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, now we're talking about a sequel. We're talking about Matrix 4. Mm -hmm. And well, and, and of course, now there's whispers that it could be a prequel. We can get into that in a second. We have Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss signing back on for Neo and Trinity, respectively. However, Morpheus, as you know, or Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus, seems to be given a quote unquote younger take what the hell is happening here? Uh, I mean, because they, they mentioned prequel talk, they mentioned sequel talk. I don't know how you jump back in time necessarily. I mean, like, of course, there's there are so many layers to Matrix that there's obviously something I haven't explored and it could just be really well executed and I won't care in the end, but it just seems very strange to have a younger take in Morpheus when Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are making a comeback. Yeah, and I believe it was Matrix Reloaded, the second one, and when he 
encountered the guy who is basically i'm trying to remember the term if it was the engineer or master or yeah and so he explains that this has happened time and again and it's been on repeat and there's been different iterations of neo and each time you know it's been been different and this time he was you know he had to make a choice and every time he makes the choice like she dies but this time the results changed a little bit so yeah i know a lot of people didn't like uh revolutions which was the third one matrix revolutions i i didn't really like the ending of it either but you know neo you know for people who haven't seen it you know you might as well catch up but i'm not going to give a spoiler warning on something that's been out for <laughs> as long as it has been but you know neo dies at the end uh but again it's a story that's kind of like he dies and then the the whole thing cycles again so I, I'm not sure exactly which way they're going. So it, it looks like what Variety reported this that um, this whole thing about how Morpheus yeah, Variety, could be Variety broke it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it, there's not a whole lot out there right now. So the only the only bit of news really that's out there that we can bite on is the fact that they've gotten John Toll to be cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Bill Pope was the original cinematographer. John Toll, for those who don't know, has won Academy Awards for Legends of the Fall and Braveheart, which were excellently shot. Yes. So it's not like this is in bad hands or anything. The only thing that's given me pause about a Matrix 4 that's done by previously the Wachowski brothers, then just the Wachowskis and now the Wachowski sisters, because uh, they've, they've both transitioned at this point, is that they have made some really weird shit <laughs> recently. I, I mean, like, again, yeah, it's not like Speed Racer is is what I'm talking about here. I'm, I'm talking about uh, like Sense8 in Netflix mm-hmm. is... And maybe this is one of those things where they just needed to get their art, like artistic expression just like on film, just whatever was in their brain, they needed to have it out there. But yeah. that is, I mean, regardless of how well you think it's produced or shot or done, it's a weird ass story. So yeah, really know what to expect out of their brains at this point. It seems like just stuff that they've produced has gone from, big budget and really cool to kind of, you know, kitschy and then kind of poorly done with the whole Jupiter ascending stuff. Yeah. Jupiter ascending. Uh, I heard cloud Atlas was good. It just seemed like a very kind of bizarre sci-fi story, but you know, like they're, they're trying to be and being creative, but with the announcement, you know, as soon as it came out that Matrix 4, you know, right there with the announcement that Keanu Reeves and Carrie Moss are signed up 100%. So that makes me think that, you know, for those two to, to reprise their roles, because Keanu, I mean, he's so successful, he easily could have just said, no, nah, uh, I don't need to come back. But again, he's kind of on this nostalgia feel, too, because he's doing Bill and Ted, you know, adventures coming back to that. Uh, Hell yeah. And Carrie and Moss, you know, probably could have said, well, I don't want to do action stunts anymore because, I mean, it was it was very physically in, involved, like all three of those films for all, all those actors. But for them to be signed up 100 percent makes me think they have something special up their sleeve. So right. I'm still kind of cautious about this because we've seen this with Star Wars. We've seen this with so many different film franchises where the story is told and then a couple decades later it comes back in some sort of way. 
So I'm I'm hoping that this is going to be a really really awesome thing. But with like you mentioned, John Toll being cinematographer, that gets me even more excited. Give me more Die Hard Four and less Die Hard Five, please. Mm-hmm. You know, give me give me something I can sink my teeth into and is actually a good progression of the story versus just an unholy mess. And uh, and I will be happy because I know they're capable of it. They've done it before. They were so visionary in the way that they produced and directed and cut film that everybody copied it for 10 years. So let's, let's see more of that. And again, we've mentioned Star Wars before. Uh, avoid the George Lucas model of film in the past, you know, 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting news. Then the bomb went off and we got Sony and Marvel splitting uh, over what is essentially all about Spider-Man rights. Kevin Feige, the person who was the producer of pretty much every Marvel Cinematic Universe film, and uh, he was the point man on Sony Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Right for the past two movies, Far From Home and Homecoming. So what did exist before was a deal that Disney would get 5% of all of the first dollar gross from any of these films, right? Because the whole point of this, for those who don't know, was to get Spider-Man, a Sony staple, into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was exactly when he was useful. That was when they did Civil War and uh, and the movies that followed. Obviously, he was you know Tom Holland Spider Man was pretty instrumental in in what came of that. The issue here is that Sony was raking in dough. We talked last episode about if Sony had basically, which you know created another Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Right, and it was underneath the Disney umbrella. They'd have a sixth billion dollar movie in their stable. Yeah, this year, which is insane. the The deal that Disney approached Sony with was instead of a them getting five percent of first dollar gross, which was we'll get into that in a second, is that they were going to have fifty fifty co financing moving forward. Okay, right there. Here's what I'm thinking about all of this. We've got. Sony at a time where they needed help resuscitating a Spider-Man franchise that was, you know, faltering. And Disney, who needed Spider-Man in their Marvel films, came together and got that kind of deal. Disney was in need. Sony had something they could give. That's how you get a 5% first dollar gross deal, Mm -hmm. right? The only reason that Disney would come back and say, let's get a 50-50 split, in my opinion, is if they were going to underutilize or not utilize Tom Holland's Spider-Man really moving forward. That they were actually going to have mostly Spider-Man films in general, but it was not going to be a situation where they were going to pump him back into like the Avengers Marvel Cinematic Universe really again. Right. So that's that's me reading the tea leaves, so to speak, on the deal that was tried, you know, that they try to get. People really want to shit on Sony 
you know, how dare you not give Spider-Man up to Disney? To me, it seems like they kind of read the writing on the wall that Disney knew the only way they were going to make money out of this moving forward was to basically create Spider-Man films underneath the MCU umbrella mm-hmm. without necessarily shoehorning him back into stuff moving forward. Because his story arc, by and large, from a MCU perspective, is more or less over unless they really want to push him back in. Right. That being said, uh, do you do you agree with kind of where my head's at as far as the business dealings of this, or do you have a different take? Yeah, no, I agree. And the thing that's interesting is it's I have friends who are are big comic fans of Marvel, and some of them are split on this. You know, some think that Disney and Marvel should just you know like everything should exist and have that connected tissue of the MCU, and everything should just be like that going forward. However, you're not truly going to have a... I mean, it's been nice having Iron Man be such a central part, especially with Far From Home. Uh, plays a huge part in that movie. But going forward, I mean, let's let's get into the gritty of Spider-Man and all the stories that, that come with that, because there are so many stories. The thing that I'm kind of like... Yeah, I get why they started out with a young younger Spider-Man in high school compared to the one that might be in college. But I really want to see them get to a point where he's out of high school and he's a little bit older and he's, you know, trying to work, uh, trying to become a scientist and all this other stuff compared to him just running around and having his first crush and, you know, all this, you know, this nonsense. And I get why they're doing it. Again, it's for the the crowd and trying to get the younger generation into it and all that and and I get it and the casting choices alone are excellent but even with that I just feel like they should focus in more I mean if it if it comes down to it to where and this is what it looks like where Sony is just going to keep Spider-Man and they're they're doing their own thing and Marvel's not going to be connected I'm fine with that we've had plenty of films now we've had what four maybe five films where spider-man is in a marvel film or marvel's in a you know the the avenger characters are in the spider-man film and it's kind of like you know let's just move the narrative forward now because there are so many things that you can get to that are greater stories in my opinion and i get it you know from an emotional perspective and you know robert downey jr was great as iron man and all that but it's kind of like let's let's move forward because sony has really been successful with Venom. Venom was not the best movie. Uh, I didn't really like it too much. It was okay, but it could have been better in so many ways, and I feel like it was restrictive. Uh, They shouldn't have made it PG-13. It should have been R, but I think the reason why they made it PG-13 and not to make it so harsh and everything is that they will find a way to have Venom and Spider-Man in the same movie, and I think that's something that a lot of Spider-Man fans have always wanted. Most of the fans that I talk to that are friends of mine that have the graphic novels and everything just can't see it happening based on what they've seen with high school Peter Parker, you know, and and then Eddie Brock by Tom Hardy, which I thought Tom Hardy did an excellent job as Brock and, and Venom. But, you know, what's interesting about it is even though Venom wasn't that great of a film, it still uh, grossed worldwide $856 million dollars. Wow, uh, which is really good for a production budget that was only a hundred million. So that is a success. Uh, and now with Andy Serkis going to be directing Venom Two and all that stuff, 
it's it, the sky's the limit. Like it's just going to get even better. And we'll talk about Andy Serkis here in a bit, but you know, I just kind of feel like the, you're laying the groundwork. Like Sony has, has been smart about thinking ahead and not just putting all their money and, and just going all in on this, this uh, Marvel integration thing, you know, Disney Marvel thing. And, you know, so the deal hasn't worked out, but that doesn't mean that life isn't going to go on for uh, Tom Holland to Spider-Man, you know, and of course people are jumping to conclusions now being like, oh, well, now they're going to just have to reboot Spider-Man. And no, they don't have to do that. They they already have the groundwork laid. So yep. I, I think Sony's seeing the big picture. And what's unfortunate about this whole mess with the, the business deal and the profits and all this other bullshit is, uh, you know, the daughter, Stan Lee, uh, J.C. Lee, came out and spoke about really a, a general lack of respect for Stan and his legacy, according to her, anyways. You sure. Know, I know they had, you know, in memoriam and, and all these different things uh, for Stan and, and some of their films, but his daughter basically said that, you know, after he passed away, no one from Marvel or Disney reached out to her or the family with their condolences, you know, didn't send them roses or nothing. So to me... It's pretty shitty, you know. I expect something better from from old Mickey Mouse there, you know, to to be a little bit more, you know, reaching out, you know. I mean, come on. I thought you guys had ABC Family, like, so. Oh yeah, um, no, it's, it's freestyle now. No, so no family involved. Right. You know, it's one thing to have like kind words They're and tributes, form, I mean, but sorry. you should reach out. So, you know, so the daughter basically sees that you know, it, it it's almost like all this stuff's kind of getting monopolized and it's getting lost in the profits. And I agree, you know, and unfortunately that's what happens when it comes to these big, you know, studios and stuff. The report uh, from Deadline by way of Collider said that we were going to get two more films with Tom Holland as Spider-Man and John Watts directing. Clearly, John Watts being a director of a giant movie for his first big time thing we've talked about in the past, uh, boy, did they, they farm this guy at the right time. Everybody is concerned about everybody coming back for a reboot or a continuation of the story, that kind of thing. But I think everybody's got a bad taste in their mouth from the Fox Marvel days mm -hmm. because there were, you know, IPs on both sides, never the two shall meet. You know, we had Marvel, they couldn't even utter the word mutant. Um, it's, it's, it's a really weird situation. But I don't necessarily believe that's going to happen. I think Sony, in, in all of their goofy shit that they've done in the past, probably had the upper hand this time. Yeah. Um, and again, that's not going to be... Uh, a very popular take, especially with a lot of people loving Spider-Man in the MCU. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to tear us a new butthole on this topic, go ahead and give us a call at the phone number we'll give out at the very end of the episode. Yeah, but, we, uh, we definitely yeah. want to hear everybody's take on this. It, but at the same time, it's kind of like Sony's got Spider-Man. They've, they've got a lot of different uh, characters they can play with and all the villains that come with that. You know, and... Disney just acquired Fox, so you got X-Men. So it's like, just move on, you know, and, and it's fine. We don't need every freaking superhero known to man in the same film. We've we've been there, done that. It was done successfully by the Russo brothers, and, you know, life will go on. Yeah, we've done that many times with the Russo brothers. We've done that with uh, Civil War, which is ostensibly Avengers 2.5. 
So, I yeah. mean, we've had, had a lot of end game. Yeah, it's it's yeah. so great. We've had a lot. It's fine. So, I'm with you on the fact that there's a lot more story to tell with Spider Man that has nothing to do with Avengers, you know, or Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, and uh, Tony knows it's a target rich environment, so it's fine. Venom, in general, with uh, the actor who's Tom uh, Tom Hardy, yeah, Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy, yeah. Uh, God, I was drawing a blank. Yeah, the film in general, getting a sequel, this is definitely going to be a situation where if people leave everything the hell alone, this is going to be a better sequel than it was the first movie. I guarantee it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can you can uh, hear it here first, folks. I'm telling you right now that the amount of budget, time, and experience that is going to hit the floor on Venom 2 is going to be far above what you experienced in the first film. Yeah, I mean, that's what you get with Andy Serkis. Uh, the guy directed Mowgli. That was successful. I mean, it, and it was great, everything that was done. Plus, he brings that that credence of, you know, and I don't know if he's going to act in the film too, but just his directing choices. Plus, he is he, ha- he has that partnership and that relationship with the motion-captured companies out there. So he really knows how to get it right and knows what to look for. So the quality of this, yeah, you, you hit it on the head. Plus, on top of that, there's a bunch of rumors going around that Carnage is going to be in the mix. And so that's that, that excites me as a fan of, of the character of Venom and, and seeing you know how crazy we can get with that. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a, a successful hit. And after that comes out, people are going to be like, Oh yeah, what was that whole Marvel Sony thing about again? And oh, we want to see Spider Man in this, and you know, it's gonna build a lot of excitement. What are you gonna do? Boycott a good, you know, superhero film just because <laughs> it doesn't have, you know, Marvel or well, Marvel will be attached, obviously, tangentially. Sure, of course. But, you know, like Disney in general attached to it. Mm-hmm. That's a dumb take. And here's a hot take for you. What if Andy Circus was Carnage? Oh, didn't even think of that. Yeah. That that would be bitching. It'd be good, but I I've heard rumors that it could be Woody Harrelson. Oh my um, god! Yeah, and so we know how off the walls he can get. So I think that would be a perfect spot for him. But I mean, yeah, the sky's the limit for this sequel, and and I'm excited for it. So uh, as more news comes out with uh, casting and uh, cinematography and everything else for Venom Two, we'll we'll definitely report it here and talk about it and see what we think. Yep, absolutely. Well, we're out of time for this week's episode. Carl, it's been a pleasure, as always. Uh, This was a lot of fun talking about everything that happened on this sort of up-and-down week for everyone. Uh, We want to remind listeners out there, tune into radio and subscribe to us. Thank you guys very much from the bottom of our hearts. We enjoy doing this for you guys. Again, our sponsor today was Audible, Uh, so Audible Books. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and check out the promotion there. We always would love to hear from you guys and give us some discussion topics and things you want us to pontificate on. You can leave us a voicemail, uh, call us at 972-885-9361. You can always find us on all the social medias such as Twitter and Instagram at Sensibly Loud. Facebook, search for us at Sensibly Loud Media. Check out all of our other shows. We have some really great hosts, all these other shows, uh, whether you're looking at baseball, basketball. If you're a Bachelor fan, uh, go check out Just Peachy. We have some really, really awesome people. I think you'll love everybody that's part of this happy family here at Sensibly Loud. Be sure to check us out on next week's episode.